This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us, your word that challenges, your word that inspires and teaches us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us afresh this morning by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, in our Gospel reading this morning, we see once again some of the religious leaders coming to Jesus to try and trap him. Matthew tells us, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now, I don't know what uh, exactly they were expecting by way of an answer, but they... The person asking was clearly hoping to trip Jesus up in some way. I came across a rather interesting rewriting of uh, Jesus' answer from something uh, calling itself the um, RFV version of the Bible, RFV standing for Reversed Fractured Version. And so the answer that they posited Jesus could have said is this. Jesus replied, study the Bible with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Defend true doctrine against heretics and unbelievers. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But of course, that is not remotely what Jesus said. What he said was, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's possible um, that we hear these words so often that we perhaps forget this most basic, most fundamental call from Jesus to love God and to love our neighbor. Well, as we continue our fall sermon series focusing on God's provision, it's worth remembering that his very word through the Bible is such an important part of God's provision to us. This great commandment, this summary of the law is such great provision for us particularly in the days in which we are living. While these words of Jesus are very familiar to many of us, they are as timely as ever, and so important for us to hear and receive and respond to once again. The airwaves of broadcast and internet media are filled with vitriol and name-calling, lying, hatred, and finger-pointing all things that could hardly be further from Jesus' commandment to love God and love one another. Today, perhaps more than ever, people are starved of love. And the pandemic only makes this worse. Interpersonal communication is severely curtailed. Many who live alone 
or who are in high-risk groups have experienced no physical touch for more than six months or more. That's hard. Our vision statement for Church of the Ascension begins by describing us as a worshipping community. And it's actually that that first phrase is based on today's text from these words from our gospel, to love God, that's our worship, and to love our neighbor. We do this in community. Jesus does not say that loving God and loving our neighbor are good ideas. He says they're required. It's a commandment. This is the commandment that sums up all the others. Jesus commands us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, one of the things I love to do is, is ask people who are new to our church family why they started coming to Ascension. I did this just last week. And in almost every case, I get the same answer, or at least on a similar theme. People tell me, well, <clears throat> when I first attended, so many people said hello to me. I felt so welcomed. I, I felt at home when people talked to me and were interested in me. It, it felt like <clears throat> genuine community. And that's a wonderful thing. But sadly, I also have to tell you that not everyone experiences ascension as the loving community that at our best we surely are, and we are certainly called to be. We are just nine days away from the presidential election. <clears throat> I know you hardly need me to remind you. But you know, four years ago, two families left ascension shortly after that election. And I followed up with each, and one told me the reason she left was that Ascension was too conservative, and she did not think there was a place for someone who shared her political views. And the other person who left told me the reason they were leaving was that Ascension was too liberal, and he no longer felt he could be part of our community. And at one level, I kind of smile and say, well, we're, we're probably getting it about right then. B but of course, that's, that's superficial because it left me feeling very sad. And I, I don't want to blame them or, or particularly us for why they left, but I think it's worth paying attention to in these highly charged days leading up to an election that we need to heed God's words to us afresh in today's scripture. Clearly, it is not enough merely to talk about God's love. We have to demonstrate it. And each of us has a vital role in helping others experience God's love for themselves. So today, however you have already voted or intend to vote in this election, God's call to you and to me is to love our neighbor. And so if your friend, work colleague, fellow uh, parishioner at Ascension, is voting for a candidate you are not voting for, Jesus calls you to vote for that neighbor. I mean, sorry, not vote for them. To love that neighbor. How easily we, we kind of just dehumanize one another. We, we can't live like that. We really can't. Love is something that you do. And God's love for us was demonstrated in action. The Bible tells us that God proves his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were completely opposed to him, Christ died for us. While we were utterly selfish and morally bankrupt, Christ died for us. And so likewise, our love for our neighbors needs to be demonstrated. And all around us, there are so many opportunities for us to do that. Indeed, the more virtual our world becomes, the more people are craving real intimacy. And the love that Jesus talks of is real love, strong love, genuine love. We might even say extreme love. Loving others is often hard. Loving people who don't love you back or who hold views very different from yours. Loving such people is an extreme form of love. And that is how God loves us. And so this morning I want to press into what this love looks like, the love that God calls us to demonstrate, this extreme kind of love. First, Jesus reminds us, we are to love God with all our heart. I think this necessarily includes our emotions, our feelings, our tears. Loving God with all our hearts also doesn't just happen overnight because we think it. And maybe... Your heart, that loving instrument, is broken or wounded or scarred. Maybe you have been let down, disappointed, betrayed. And it's very hard to love. Maybe you have wondered where God has been in your, in your pain, your suffering. And others may have hearts that have grown weary or cold or hard. But if any of these heart conditions describe your heart, hear the words of God that come from his, if you like, love letter, his word that he provides for us in scripture. In Ezekiel, we read that God promises to give us a new heart and a new spirit. In John's gospel, we read Jesus saying to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because he is with us. And St. Paul tells us the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what to pray very often. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. And just as our physical heart is a muscle that needs to be exercised to stay healthy and strong, so too our metaphorical heart needs to be exercised. And if you're not loving God with all your heart, then today is the day to open your heart to God, to unlock the gates to your heart to remove the bricks, take down the fences, allow yourself to be vulnerable before God. He will not hurt you or harm you or take advantage of you. Rather, he will pour his love into your heart. Well, the second aspect of extreme loving is to love God with all your soul. Now, I don't want to get bogged down into a, 
a cerebral discussion of what is the soul. But it seems to me that the soul is at least the very essence of our being, the meanness of me. The soul is that indescribable core of who uniquely we have been made to be. The soul is also gutsy and strong. Our soul incorporates our spirit and drive and passion. And if your soul is stubborn or willful or dark, ask God to make it more flexible and open. If you're to love God with all your soul, then you need to open the shutters, draw back the curtains, allow the light of God's truth to shine into the deepest, darkest places of your very being. So many people live their lives in the shadows, too afraid, too filled with shame, too angry, too hurt. In Psalm 51, the, the great psalm of repentance from King David, written after he'd committed adultery, we read that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. God can deal with the hardest of hearts and the most wicked of souls if we will come to him honestly, as we are, in our brokenness, in repentance, humbly seeking his forgiveness. If you think of a horse that has not been broken, it is wild and uncontrollable, unrideable, and sometimes, like an untamed beast, we need to have our hearts broken so that we can be filled with God's Spirit and so be enabled to love God with all our soul. This love of the soul is strong. It is powerful. And the psalmist reminds us that the Lord restores our soul, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus warns us, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Well, the third part of Jesus' command to us is to love God with all our mind. You know, sometimes love is not about our feelings or our passions. Rather, it is about our wills. Over the past several weeks, the lectionary readings have covered some pretty tough subjects, such as what to do when a brother or sister sins against you. We saw how it is the one who has been wronged and hurt who is duty-bound to make the first move and go to that person who's wronged him or her one-on-one. -on -one. That is what loving God with all our minds looks like. We were also challenged about how often we're to forgive those who sin against us. Once, twice, three times? No, says Jesus, 70 times, seven times. Or in other words, again and again and again. That is what loving God with all your mind, that's what it looks like, and your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with our mind is love that flows from commitment, from a decision to trust God and from obedience to his word. This is the love that a man and a woman sign up for and give themselves to in marriage, as one of our uh, young couples did yesterday here. The couple do not say to each other, I love you. They say, 
I will love you. If we can learn and practice loving God with all our heart and soul and mind, then we will find that we are daily equipped to love our neighbor as ourselves. I think sometimes um, Christians think that somehow they, 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 well, they shouldn't love themselves because we're all miserable sinners. And well, yes, we are, but that doesn't mean that we should indulge in self-loathing. Rather, it means we come to Jesus. We come to God for forgiveness, to be made whole. We are all image bearers of our creator. And every human being, the most rabid and vehement and noisy and offensive supporter of the candidate you can't stand, that one is made in the image of God. Now, of course, those images, and let's start by looking in the mirror, please, are marred and spoiled. They're cracked. They're imperfect. And yet, Every human being is of immense worth to God. For not only did he create us in his image, he also loved us enough to die for us. And when we fail to realize this, when we fail to receive the love that God longs to pour into our hearts, that is when our hearts grow cold and hard. And so it it then becomes almost impossible for people who either hate others or hate themselves to love God and to love others. But when we receive God's love, we discover that love is a two-way giving and receiving kind of love that naturally overflows. If there is real love for God, there will be real love for neighbor. In fact, you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. You just, well, you can say it, but it's rubbish. It's not true. It's not real. And it's not enough to say, well, you know, I mind my own business. I, I don't do anyone any harm. No, Jesus has much higher standards than that. The summary of the law then is powerful and challenging. And it takes the questioner who's trying to trick uh, Jesus away from the, the kind of rules and realm of, of advancement and you know rule keeping where a person might gain really good grades and climb the goodness ladder and instead Jesus takes us into the deep places of our heart soul and mind and into this place of extreme loving preacher and teacher the late Michael Green uh, writes nobody has ever loved God with all his being nobody has ever loved her neighbor as herself so nobody can possibly merit eternal life. Once again, it brings us back to grace. If we are to have any place in the kingdom of God, it will be due to the unmerited grace of God for sinners who could never make it by themselves. Well, in closing, let me ask you this. How will you respond to God's extraordinary, abundant, and lavish provision of his great love for you? How will you respond to God's calling and commandment? Will you become an extreme lover of God? And will you love your neighbor as yourself?
I pray that we may be known by our love. Amen.